0: Years ago, our family was visiting one of our global partners uh, overseas, and uh, he reached out to us, and I'll call him Lonnie, I'll call him Lonnie because that's his name, and he says, you know, would you like to go visit the Kalonks? And I said, what's a Kalonk? And he said, it's like the cliffs, and I said, that sounds cool. And so he says, yeah, I'll take you there. So it's, the, it's just this beautiful sight, amazing, beautiful. And, and he told me it's going to be worth it. He goes, I got to tell you, though, it does require a little bit of walking. It's about an hour walk through a park, and then you, you then we'll arrive, and, and you'll be able to get in the water, and I'll give you some wetsuits, and it'll be amazing. I said, okay, great. So we got there. What he didn't tell us before we left, was that we would have to actually climb from the top here down these enormous cliffs with steep 150-foot drops with no guardrail, no fence, no no protection whatsoever for the last 15 minutes. It's extremely steep. And I got a 16-year-old son who's just moved on. The, the pathway was about Yeah, maybe two, two and a half feet wide. It's got gravel on it. It's slippery. It's like, I got daughters in their 20s. And I was like, wow, 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 wow. If I had known that was coming, I don't know if I would have gone. But when we got there, check it out again. When we got there, it was so worth it. It was so beautiful. And what I learned there that day is that nothing worth having comes easy. Easy. Nothing worth having comes easy. Now, I'll take you guys and, and apply that to kind of all of life, okay? And we're going to dive into some scriptures today. So get out your Bible, Version app, follow along on the screen here. We're going to look at Acts chapter 20. But guys, um, last week we talked a lot about having to take a lot of mundane steps to get to the mountaintop. And here I had a lot of mundane steps and kind of scary steps down to get to the beautiful uh, sea there. And It's true. It's it's all true. We have to take a lot of mundane steps. But today, I want to go a little bit deeper into God's Word. And, And just to share with you, it's not just mundane, but it's that nothing worth having comes easy. There are challenges along the way. And this goes for lasting friendships, strong marriages, loving families, rewarding work, getting your degree, experiencing financial health, uh, a life of generosity, character growth, becoming like Jesus in our lives, experiencing a life-changing participation in the life of the church, and having a spiritual influence on others. All these great things Have their difficulties along the way. Nothing worth having comes easy. Uh, So, we're gonna go to the book of Acts, which is a record of the early church, and we're gonna join the third missionary journey. Paul is on his way back to Jerusalem. He's on a ship, and he, he takes a brief stop before he heads for Jerusalem to a city, an ancient city called Miletus. And there is a perfect opportunity to descend for the elders. Uh, of the church of Ephesus. They're just 30 miles up the road from the harbor at Miletus. So he sends for them. And last weekend, we started looking at that, his farewell speech to the Ephesian elders. And here we're gonna look and learn together how nothing uh, worth having comes easy, but it's so worth it. We're gonna learn the importance of the gospel and that by believing it, following it, protecting it, and sharing it, is not easy, but as we've been saying, nothing worth having comes easy. So, little review, here's his speech. This says, "Now, from Miletus. He sent to Ephesus and summoned the elders of the church, uh, and, and when they came to him, he said to them, you know, From the first day I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time, a personal presence, serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, and during the trials that came to me through the plots of the Jews. And he talks about just serving the Lord with passion. We talked about that. And then he said, you know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you publicly from house to house. And we said, keep the main things, the main things. Serve the Lord, but also teach the word of God thoroughly. And then we also saw in verse 21, he says, I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. And that's just a simple summary of the gospel about turning from our sin and from our past and trying to earn our own way to God and putting our faith totally in the finished work of Jesus Christ and him crucified for us, raised from the dead to give us life, forgiveness, and hope for eternity. So That's where we left off last week, and I want to pick it up now, the rest, or at least the next part, of the Apostle Paul's farewell speech. And we're going to learn some principles here. And I'm going to call these principles transforming journeys, all right? They're like trips that we need to take that if we were willing to take them, can be extremely transforming to us and that we can experience so much more of the richness and the fullness of the life that Jesus offers to us. But it's not going to come easy. All right, these principles are centered on Jesus Christ. They're centered on the gospel. They're not just good principles of of life, but they're Christ-centered, gospel-driven journeys that will be spiritually transforming to me and to you uh, to make us more and more like Jesus. But I got to tell you, with a warning label here attached to this message, these seven transforming journeys are challenging. They are difficult. Nothing worth having comes easy, all right? First transforming journey I'm going to ask you to be willing to take is to move from chasing entitlement to embracing suffering. Chasing entitlement to embracing suffering. Paul continues his speech to these leaders. He says, and now I am on my way to Jerusalem. Compelled by the Spirit, he just felt God driving him to do this. Not knowing what I will encounter there. I, I don't really know what will happen. Verse 23, except that in every town, the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. He was told when he came to know Jesus that he, Jesus said to him, I will show you how much you must suffer for my name. And now he's already experienced a lot of suffering, but now he is learning there's more to come. Chains and afflictions are awaiting me in Jerusalem. And what he doesn't say is, therefore I'm not going there, or I'm turning back, or I'm gonna wait a while, see if this passes he is committed to pursuing the mission that God has called him to, to share the good news, to live for Jesus, no matter what. And that means he cannot embrace an entitlement mentality that says, I deserve better, I'm special, I don't need this, why God? Instead he embraces that suffering is a part of being like Jesus. Suffering is a part of following Jesus. Now, I uh, I want to talk a little bit about entitlement because I said we have to move from an entitlement mentality, uh, pursuing entitlement, to just embracing suffering. And that is a big deal for those of us who live in America because entitlement is all around us. We're all infected with this to some degree or another. Uh, I I, I read a book uh, a while back called The Entitlement Cure by Dr. John Townsend, Christian author. And the subtitle is Finding Success in doing hard things the right way. And in this book, he shares, he defines entitlement as the belief that I am exempt from responsibility and that I am owed special treatment. And he gives a few examples of this, and I'm going to give those to you just to give you a little taste for what I'm talking about here. He, he says, uh, an attitude, uh, somebody who feels entitled has an attitude of being very special. They say, I'm exceptional. And in fact, I'm a far greater value to this marriage or this family or this church or this team or this company than the rest of the others. And that's why I deserve special treatment. They're lucky to have me. That's one per, uh, attitude of person feeling entitled. Another attitude is that of being owed or deserving something. Uh, Like they'll say, I didn't create the situation. They're the ones who are always complaining. So why should I do all the work or even any of it? As far as I'm concerned, um, I should just stay in my office till they've cleaned up the mess. And my bonus had better not be any smaller than any of the others because of it. Another uh, aspect of the entitlement mentality is a refusal to accept responsibility. Why do they want me to pay rent? I didn't ask to be born. Besides, this will still be their house after I move out. And I can't pay rent anyway now because I don't have a job. None of the dead-end jobs around here are worth my time and effort. And there's no reason I should do my own laundry. Mom has to do hers and Dad's anyway. She can just do mine at the same time. It's no extra work. Dad can do it, Mom can do it. Or a denial of one's impact on others. You know, sometimes my husband and kids' lack of responsibility bothers me, and I say exactly what I feel. I'm telling them the truth. I don't sugarcoat it. I don't tone down my language, my volume, or how long I talk. They overreact to what I'm saying, and that's their problem. It's a free country, and I can say what I need to say. We see this sort of attitude all the time in our culture, and if we're not careful, it invades our own hearts. We're owed something, and we're special, um, But Paul kind of totally reverses that. He says, I'm going to Jerusalem. I know God's called me to do that. It's part of his mission. And I know that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. What a transformative attitude. We don't even sometimes comprehend that kind of bravery and courage. A a while back, I was watching TV, and as I often have, uh, you know, in the comfort of my lazy boy, uh, I've got a a remote, because I don't want to, you know, walk across the room, and I'm clicking between things, and I happen to click between two channels. One of them had a golf match on it. The other had a movie going, and there was a golf match going. Let's just say it looks like this, and a guy's hitting a very difficult bunker shot, and it was really tricky, and the uh, announcer says, that's a brave, brave man, Uh, you know, as if he were doing something incredibly heroic. That's a brave, brave man, and then I clicked my remote and changed to the channel, to this movie, Saving Private Ryan. And it just struck me how the word brave can take on a lot of different meanings, can't it? That's a brave, brave man. No, this is some brave, brave men. And as we just pass through Veterans Day, we, we think about bravery and people who were willing to embrace suffering for a cause. And so if that if we're willing to take that journey in relating to our families, in relating to our church, in relating even to our community, and say, you know what? I, I'm willing to embrace suffering. It's the way of Jesus. Um, we're gonna make a lot more progress. Mark Twain once said, uh, this great quote, don't go around saying the world owes you a living. The world owes you nothing. It was here first, right? Even the world recognizes that this success and and and." And, and actually making progress uh, is harder than it looks. Uh, they call, uh, I, I came across this iceberg of success, the iceberg illusion. What, what people see is, is they, the success is this iceberg. They see all the great stuff that happens. What they don't see is everything that happened below the surface that isn't public, that went into that success or the completion of a mission or whatever it was. And there's persistence and failure and sacrifice and disappointment, discipline, hard work, dedication, They don't see all that and instead they just see the reward or the the outcome and they want that without all the sacrifice it takes. So I, I wanna just encourage us all when it comes to following Jesus and we wanna see his impact in our lives and in our families and in our community. But that will mean, brothers and sisters, that we'll have to make this transition from chasing entitlement, I'm special, I'm owed something, to a willingness to embrace a theology, if you will, of suffering, that yes, following Jesus will entail hardship and difficulty. Jesus promised us us this, you will, in this world, you will have tribulation. Take heart, I've overcome the world, I got your back, and I will greatly bless you in this life and the life to come, but it's not gonna be easy. Nothing worth having comes easy. So are you willing to take that first transforming journey of from chasing entitlement to embracing suffering? Second transforming journey is to move from self, uh, a concept of self-preservation at all costs to self-sacrifice for the gospel. Paul continues, I know that afflictions are coming my way, but I consider my life of no value to myself, my purpose is to finish my course, finish, or you could translate it race, to finish the race that God has marked out for me and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus when he appeared to Paul on the Damascus Road to testify to the gospel of God's grace. He viewed it as a privilege to do so, and he's saying basically here he is, guys, my personal survival doesn't really matter that much. And it doesn't matter to me. I'm expendable in the cause. That's a soldier. I've got a race to finish. I've got a job to do. I've got a mission to accomplish. And God has called me to share this good news to a whole lot of people. And some of them aren't going to like it. And some of them will misunderstand. He says, so I'm willing to not just preserve my life at all costs. It's all about me and just surviving but I'm actually willing to say I'm going to sacrifice myself when necessary for the gospel. Now, don't misunderstand me, Paul would say. Uh, I'm not chasing death. I'm not trying to get killed. But I realize that following Jesus entails a lot of sacrifice and potentially, for him at least, martyrdom. The truth is that God calls every single one of us To advance the gospel of God's grace by the way we live our lives, so that others around us, even those who already know Him, our family, our friends, can see it, but also to a watching world. And it will require sacrifice. You know, I think of the old spiritual uh, sung on Good Friday Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they nailed him to the tree? Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Were you there when they rolled the stone away? Sometimes it causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they nailed him to a tree? And sometimes we sing songs about the cross, and it can become too abstract for us, that it's some kind of ethereal concept of love or something, but... We need to come back to the cross is execution. It cost Jesus his life to set us free from our sins. And there's so many songs that we sing that talk about this, but we can, we can sing it and not get back to the gritty, concrete reality of what the cross was all about. But Paul understood that. One writer says, if we forget the cross, the real cross, he says, a crossless, a crossless gospel makes for spineless Christians. If we forget the cost that Jesus paid for our sins, the price he paid, then we soon will lack the courage to follow him because we forget forget about the blood. We forget about the humiliation, about the suffering, and about the glory of the resurrection. So, It all starts with understanding Jesus on the cross, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's the heart of it all. This gospel of grace, that's grace, is good news, because at the cross, through his atoning sacrifice, he gives to me, when I trust in him, his righteousness, and he takes on my sin. He forgives me freely, but it cost him a lot. And then he calls me to take up my cross and follow him. And so the gospel of God's grace is good news, but it's a gritty, sacrificial, bloody, if you will, good news. Let's contrast that for just a moment to the most popular expression right now of spirituality in our world. And writers and theologians have kind of summarized kind of the American spirituality as this. Let's look at it. Moralistic Therapeutic deism, moralistic, a lot of you know, kind of good ideas, good principles for moral living, therapeutic to make me feel better about myself and about my situation. Deism, God is somehow involved in this, but He's not really intimately involved. Let's just look at some of the, the main principles of this kind of summary of what a lot of American spiritu- spirituality is about. Number one, there's a God who watches over us. Uh, secondly, be good, be nice, be fair to each other. Thirdly, life's goal is to be happy and feel good about oneself. For God is needed only when there is a problem to be resolved. Otherwise, he can stay in his corner and leave me alone. And good people go to heaven when they die. It would take forever to unpack all of this, but this is a good summary of what a lot of people think. It is so far removed from the gospel of Jesus Christ the gospel of grace. It denies every single one of these principles. And instead, it embraces uh, the atoning sacrifice and then the call upon our lives to trust him, to be freely forgiven, and then to join him. I mean, look at, the, look at some of the verses Jesus told us in Luke nine twenty three. He said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. A cross wasn't a difficulty or, you know, hey, I got a hard thing at work, that's my cross to bear. No, a cross is like a form of execution. Take up your electric chair. Take up, you know, this gas chamber. That was a bloody, terrible form of execution. He says, this is gonna be hard. Nothing worth having comes easy. Paul said of his own life, I... Die daily. What do you mean by that? He meant really, he said, I, I face the prospect of death pretty much every day he lived. There's always that possibility. Uh, he writes to uh, Timothy, Paul says, In fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you want to live for Jesus, you're going to have some people who just don't like it, don't like you. And then he urges us in Romans 12, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Yes, we live sacrificial lives for the sake of Jesus. We make sacrifices and we endure hardship for the cause. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. That's what real worship is about. This is where we go from the kind of feel-good, moralistic, therapeutic deism To the hard task of following Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. There's tons of blessing and goodness and kindness and joy and peace. And that's all in it. But it's not removed from a life of suffering. In fact, part of the suffering is the way we find joy. Uh, in the suffering, we find a deeper joy that's not related to our circumstances, but that's related to his love and grace in the midst of it. That's why so many people can't endure uh, hardships because they think they're surprised. Like, why is this happening to me? But God says, it's just living in a fallen world and especially following Jesus. I wanna ask you a question. Is there something, one thing that's really hard for you to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. There's one thing in your life that's really hard to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. And it might be that that's the one thing that's keeping you from experiencing the fullness of the Spirit of Jesus Christ in your life. Nothing worth having comes easy. In order to have that spiritual breakthrough, It may be that you need to be willing to do that one hard thing. It could be forgiving somebody. It could be serving in a place that's difficult. It could be not holding that grudge anymore. It could be sacrificing yourself for the sake of the cause. It could be generously sacrificing of yourself to help the mission of Jesus. I don't know what it might be. But let's be willing to take that transforming journey from from self-preservation at all costs to self-sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. And then we could experience something amazing. And we have the best thing to offer. That's the gospel of God's grace. Let's go to the transforming journey number three. We move, if we're gonna experience his goodness and really experience his best for us, is moving from fearfully avoiding loss to fearlessly pursuing love. Instead of saying, oh, I can't do that because that might, I might lose something. Instead, to fearlessly pursue love. Paul was there talking to the Ephesian elders about the difficulties of following him. And then he says in verse 25, And now I know that none of you among among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. This was a sobering moment because Paul had a sense from God's Holy Spirit that this was the last time he'd ever see these elders that he would never visit them again, that it, he might, his life might be taken or what, but he just sensed that this is it, this is all there is. And he said, I've been sharing about the kingdom, God's reign with you guys for like three years in the, in the space in Ephesus. But I have a mission to fulfill. The church has a mission and the mission has a church. There's people and there's relationship and there's a cause and disciple making that needs to happen. And Paul is sharing with them, here's the reality. To pursue both the relationships of the church and the cause of the gospel, I need to say goodbye. And I'm never going to see you again. Wow. Wow. He He wasn't detached. He loved these people. They were his friends. He spent more time in Ephesus than any of his other stops. There are so many people in this world who miss out on the richness of friendships and relationships like that. They're so unwilling to ever face potential loss that they never get close to people. They say, I'll be safer if I just keep my distance. I'm I'm not going to build deep friendships because I might end up having to lose something. It might be painful, so I'm just going to stay away from that. C.S. Lewis wrote about this. In his book, Four Loves, I just want to give you this thought to take with you. He says, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. Wow. To love is to be vulnerable, and that's what Paul was demonstrating here. He had invested in these people's life, and that was hard to say goodbye. Don't be willing to put yourself all into those relationships that matter, even though there might be some potential for heartbreak, farewells. It's worth it. Nothing worth having comes easy. A fourth transforming journey from craving popularity to choosing faithfulness. From craving popularity to choosing faithfulness. He says, therefore, I declare to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. He says, I didn't hold back. And he's saying to us, there comes a point in your life when you have to give up the pipe dream that everybody is going to love everything that you stand for. I didn't do that with you guys. I risked you not understanding or rejecting me. I didn't hold back. I told you the whole plan of God. I told you the whole word of God, the whole gospel of God. I didn't just tell you the sweet parts. I told you the difficult parts too. And for us, sometimes the fear of rejection or the love of popularity and getting more likes can become an idol that keeps us From being faithful to Jesus and keeps us from experiencing everything that He wants for us wants for us to experience in His grace. It's not really loving to withhold important life-saving information from people. And he said, I didn't do that, I told you the whole thing. You know, there are there's a whole movement in, in, in around the world called the prosperity gospel. And it basically says, you know, God loves you. He wants you to be healthy and wealthy and he loves you and he blesses you and he believes in you and all this kind of stuff. And some of what they say is true, actually. Um, but it's, sometimes it's not what they always say that's so wrong. It's what they never say that is so problematic because they never, many of them, never talk about sin, never talk about evil, never talk about repentance Never talk about sacrifice or the hardship of following Jesus or you actually might get killed. I mean, that just is so foreign to them. Um, C.S. Lewis said this. Jesus Christ did not say, go into the world and tell the world that it is quite right. You're doing great world. You're amazing. And just join them in what parroting back whatever they believe in. Sometimes we have to say things that are unpopular. Doesn't mean we're obnoxious. Doesn't mean we're Nasty just means we have to be faithful to this gospel. Chasing popularity can kill our effectiveness in compassionately seeking to live and share the good news with others and especially with that one life that God has placed in our path. Maybe God's calling you to take the next step in vulnerability and courage to be faithful to him in a place where you might not always be popular for being a follower of Jesus. you got to be careful about it. you got to be respectful and gentle, but don't ever be ashamed. What's the long-term way of loving those who do not yet know Christ? A long-term way is to build bridges so that you have an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. I remember when I first became a follower of Jesus, I was so excited to have my mother understand the grace of God. She understood the law of God, didn't understand the love of God. And so I was, I was 18 years old and I was in my dorm room and I was calling her on the phone. I was talking to her about, oh, you got to trust in Jesus. And I was telling her all these things, life and everything, I was so excited. And mom paused for a moment and she said to me, Quentin, we're talking about heaven. And she says, Quentin, you don't think I'm gonna make it, do you? And that was a very direct question. And I, 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 I didn't know exactly what to say. And the Holy Spirit laid on my heart just to say, Mom, what I think doesn't matter. I just want you to be sure that you know the grace of Jesus and the love of God so that you can be assured, not you're hoping to be in heaven, but that you know God will welcome you to heaven by Jesus in his grace, in the cross. That was when I was 18. And over the years, you know, I, I got more sensitive and more gentle the way I shared things sometimes, but I kept sprinkling in those things. 32 years later, I was able to share much a very similar message with my mom. And on that day in the living room where I grew up and where she lived for 63 years, she trusted in Jesus. It took 32 years but I could honestly say I didn't hold back because I loved my mom and I didn't want her to not know the grace of Jesus. We want everyone at Valley Church to know the whole counsel of God, the whole plan of God. I need to tell everybody who's listening today a very simple thing. We talk about the grace, the gospel of God, his atoning death. Uh, of Jesus, his son on the cross, his resurrection, and the incredible importance of turning from trusting in ourselves and our works to trusting fully in what Jesus has done for us. And then as we trust in him, he gives us forgiveness and everlasting life. But I need to tell you very carefully this statement. If you reject the grace of God that is offered in the mercy and the cross of Jesus Christ, you will forever be separated from God in hell for all of eternity. I make that clear because I wanna be innocent, like Paul said, of the blood of all people. You know this message, and I plead with you from my heart to trust in him fully. Why miss the grace of God? Embrace it today and trust in Jesus Christ. So we move from chasing popularity to choosing faithfulness to Jesus, the f- transforming. By the way, when we do this with people in our lives, it takes time. We have to earn respect. So please don't go out and you know, back your dump truck up on people, beep, 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 and just, you know, you have no bridges, there's no context or whatever, and just blurt something out. You, you, need, to, you need to build some bridges and you need to earn respect But when God opens those doors or when you've had a long enough relationship and a friendship, I want to encourage you, go there. Be willing to at least begin a conversation about spiritual matters, all right? Transforming journey number five, and that is from careless living to a vigilant mindset. Paul says to those leaders there that day, be on guard for yourselves. Uh, The word here is to watch your life carefully, to set a watch up on your own heart. Many, many people in this world, including many Christians, are not arriving at their theological beliefs about God and about life, and they're not making lifestyle choices based on a careful examination of Scripture. Now, I don't expect non-Christians to base their beliefs on the Bible because that's not where they're coming from. But these words were shared with leaders of the Christian church in Ephesus. So we need to realize that as followers of Jesus... Um, we need to seek our own uh, beliefs about God and, and our own lifestyle choices, not on social media, not on what's popular in culture, but what is actually written in the scriptures. I, it, it's troubling sometimes to see how many Christians out in, in our nation and so forth just blindly follow whatever trend it might be. And I don't care if it's on the left or on the right or somewhere else, but they're just following uh, uh, important things. And I'm not talking about political stuff here, guys. I'm not talking about policies. I'm just talking about beliefs about who God is and how we should live our lives and the moral choices that we make. Those, for, those of us who are Christians, we need to guard our hearts. And if, if we're straying, God's knocking on your door today and say, watch out there, brother. Be careful, sister. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23 for out of it will flow your life story. Guard your heart. All right, let's keep going. Uh, Principle number six, transforming journey number six. We move from selfish indifference to personal responsibility. So here Paul shifts and he says, guard yourselves, but also watch or uh, guard all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Leaders, he says to that church, be on guard for all the flock. It is our job as pastors, as elders, as leaders in the church to say, we're watching over the flock, both in our teaching and in the the mission that we're pursuing and in the Christian ethics and beliefs that we uphold and, and say that, All followers of Jesus should follow. So that's our job is to watch over the flock and to encourage people and to call them out if they're teaching something that's false or living in a way that is so contrary to scripture. We do this not out of a heart of um, control, but out of a heart of responsibility to shepherd the church of God, he said, which he purchased with his own blood. Jesus paid for the lives of these people with his own blood. And you, as under shepherds, pastors, leaders, have a responsibility. So I can't, I as a leader cannot be selfishly indifferent, whatever, it doesn't matter what happens to me, and just I care about myself. No, I have to, I have a responsibility as a pastor. And it's a heavy responsibility, believe me. But all of us have some responsibility to the people around us, to the flock that God has given to us. Certainly for parents. We have a flock that God has given to us. There's other people in our lives that God has entrusted us, especially those who are part of the family of God, to say, it's not okay to just be indifferent to how they're doing. No, take personal responsibility that you need to encourage them. You need to walk with them. You need to help them as a brother and sister to continue to walk the narrow path of following Jesus. And that doesn't mean you're their spiritual police officer, but it does mean that we lock arms together and if we start straying from the fold, somebody's going to be there to say, "Hey, come on, let's let's stay in the path. Let's walk with God." Because it can be very troubling to see someone walk off the path. The last transforming journey, number seven, is this: um, from sleepy spirituality to alert truth seeking. He's been talking about keeping your guard, and then he says, verse twenty-nine: "For I know that after my departure, when I leave, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock." Men will rise up from your own number and distort the truth to lure the disciples into following them. Therefore, be on the alert. Wake up, keep watch. Remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each one of you with tears. So there was a passion here. There was a love here. This wasn't a cold-hearted theologian just dispensing academic knowledge. There was a heart for people that said, guys, I'm telling you, savage wolves. He's talking about persecutors. He's talking about outsiders who are gonna come in and attack them. And then he says, there will be even those from your own number and they'll distort the truth. These are false teachers. He says, be careful, but watch out for them. And they're all over the place. And they arose. They arose very quickly. 10 years later, we get troubles in the Ephesian church. 35 years old, Jesus is saying, hey, be careful when he writes speaks to them in Revelation. So there's both opposition from the outside the persecution, the opposition. And then there's, there's false teachers on the inside, uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, if you will. Now, guys, this is not about becoming paranoid. This is not becoming over picky over little doctrinal, secondary, minor points. It's not about becoming suspicious of everybody and calling people names when you don't even know what they believe. It is not about being nasty. But it is about becoming alert, discerning disciples of Jesus who are always comparing whatever they hear from anybody to the Word of God. What does the Word of God teach us? Okay, guys, I want to ask you right now, do you want to join this mission? Do you want to follow Jesus and experience all that he has for you? And he's calling you to sometimes do some hard things and take one of those transforming journeys we talked about today. I, I, I close with this. Guys, this series is called Live the Mission, Love the Church. And I wanna just encourage you guys to, for you to know what an incredible privilege it is to live this mission with you, to walk this path with you and to see the gospel taking root in your lives, in our lives, but also in, in our community and beyond. But it's also about loving the church. And it wouldn't be right for me to, to end without saying this. I love you guys. I love you. You are my brothers and my sisters. And it is incredible privilege and joy for me to call you brothers and sisters. I love you guys. Can we pray together? Father in heaven, thank you for today. I, I pray that the words that are spoken here will take root. And even though it's deep and stretching and it, I pray that it will be ultimately encouraging so that taking that hard road less traveled will actually end with a joyful, incredible destination in the days, the weeks, the years, and the eternity to come. And all God's people agreed and said, amen, amen. God bless you all.